Well, it's great to be with you today. I want to thank Matt and the entire pastoral team here at Central for inviting me to come. As you've heard, my name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors at Northview Community Church. Matt and I worked together at Northview many years ago, and it's such a delight to see him serving here as the lead pastor and doing really, really well. I've preached at Central before. Some of you who have been here a long time will have known who I am. My face is not necessarily strange here, but it's gl I'm glad that I have another opportunity to come and bring the word to you. No, of course, today, um, my heart is heavy. And I would say our hearts are heavy. And the reason for the heaviness is because if you've been watching the news this past week, you'll have heard about this survey that was done on the grounds of a former residential school in Kamloops that uh, uncovered the remains of 215 children who were buried at that site, kids who were taken from their families and were part of this residential school. So I'd like to just pause here uh, and just uh, say this. I think for us as Christians, we, we need to mourn. The scriptures call us to mourn with those who mourn. And so I'd like us to just take a moment and just say a prayer for our indigenous community, for the families who have been greatly impacted, for those who survived the residential school. This must be a very painful uh, week and a very painful time for them, and I'm sure over the next coming days, weeks, or months, as the government now tries to look for other burial sites in various former uh, residential schools, it is possible that other findings will be, uh, will be made. And this, again, will just unearth a lot of pain and cause our indigenous community to relive some of the horrors that have been part of their story. So I'd like us to pray and just ask the Lord to grant them grace, to grant our indigenous community grace, and also to help us know how to best respond and how best to stand with our indigenous brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. Father, it is with heavy hearts that we come to you. And Lord, we just want to acknowledge the, the horrors that took place in re residential schools in this country. And Father, this past week and the news that we've had to listen to, heart-wrenching stories, Father, is just yet another reminder of the brokenness and the sin that is in our world. So Father, we pray for our indigenous brothers and sisters. We pray, Father, that you'd grant them the ability to, to heal as they mourn the tragedies that took place as part of their history. We ask, dear Father, that your grace would be upon them. We also pray for ourselves, Lord, that you'd grant us the ability to understand what took place and not to make assumptions and to know how to respond and how to speak well and how to stand with our indigenous brothers and sisters, that we may say no to racism and that we may make amends and build bridges and build reconciliation, Father. Commit ourselves now to you, Lord. Only by your spirit can we be able to do this and do this well. Grant us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matt invited me to come and speak on this subject of racism. This is the first of a number of sermons that you'll be hearing on various issues. Matt, I understand, will be speaking on politics next week, and others will be speaking on other issues as well. So racism is what we'll be looking at today. This is a big 
issue. And I've been wrestling with what kind of, what passage of scripture would I use to actually unpack this? And so I wrestled with various passages and then I decided, well, why don't I just do a very brief biblical survey? Now, make no mistake, this is not a comprehensive uh, address on the issue of racism, not at all. But this just will give you a good biblical worldview, a biblical understanding of how the scriptures will address this issue of racism. Now, because racism is a loaded term, it would be best for me to actually unpack what I mean. It's best for us to define the term. So what is racism? I would say this, racism is prejudice. It is discrimination. It is antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership to a particular racial or ethnic group. So basically, prejudice, discrimination, antagonism directed toward a person or people based on their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group. So I'll give you an example. So my son, my oldest son, he's now going to be turning 16 in the next few days here. And so when he was young, he was probably about six years old. So my wife and I decided, hey, let's go to the park just within Abbotsford. That's where we live. And then we'll have a picnic and then the kids can run around. He had his sister who just follows him. So my son was busy running around. There's a little water fountain that kids were playing on and things like that. And just we were just relaxed, having our snacks and watching the kids run around. And my wife and I were just talking at the park here. And then Suddenly, after a while, there was this lady who just came to us, and the lady said, hey, guys, I just want you to, to be aware. You see those kids there? And then she pointed to a bunch of other kids, and then she said, those kids are saying that they want to go and beat up your son just because he's different. So you guys might just want to keep an eye on your son, and you want to keep an eye on those other kids and what they are trying to do. And instantly there, of course, I was really angry. Like, what in the world is going on here? This group of kids just want to go and beat up on my son just because he's black. Why? There probably are many other reasons why my son wasn't playing with them. He's not even their age. But just because he has curly hair and darker skin, these other kids have, have decided upon themselves, hey, let's go and beat him up. Or, for example, there have been multiple times where I've been walking down the street just by my house, walking down the street, and then there'll be a van or a vehicle that will be driving by, and the driver, for some reason, will slow down, and then he will roll his window and begin to yell racial slurs at me. I have no idea who this person is. Uh, we've probably never met. We've never interacted. And so I wonder, okay, why? Why all this discrimination? Why this antagonism? Why is this? See, this is racism. This would be racism. And there are various forms of racism. You could say there is individual racism where the individual makes uh, racist assumptions and beliefs, um, where they're exhibiting behavior that would be racist. Um, sometimes they'll behave uh, in a racist manner consciously, sometimes unconsciously unconsciously. Then there is also systemic racism, which basically is policies and practices that are entrenched in established institutions, which result in the exclusion or the promotion of a designated group. So either you exclude one group or you really favor one group over all others, and you would call that systemic racism. And there are various forms of systemic racism. And the, the deep issue with racism is this. 
It asserts superiority of one ethnicity over another, and hence it attempts then to segregate the superior from the inferior. And again, we have a classic illustration when we now start thinking about what happened in Kamloops and in many other residential schools. That's a great illustration of what racism does. This superiority of one ethnicity over another, which then leads to the segregation. The other example of this segregation would be apartheid in South Africa, where you had the, the, colon, uh, the, the ones who had colonized uh, South Africa would say, hey, these are the whites, and they will have these special schools and stores and lifestyles and neighborhoods and the blacks in a different, in a different society, in a different um, ghetto, so to speak. And the two were never to interact with one another. And that was apartheid in South Africa. Racism also um, produces these prejudices which make basically sweeping negative assessments of ethnicities from a standpoint of, of condescension based on stereotypical, preconceived, and uncharitable opinions. Case in point. So um, there, was a, there, there was this uh, Christian luncheon, and there was this Christian businessman who I was talking to in this luncheon. And so we were talking about business and things and, and, and different things. And I asked him uh, to tell me a little bit about their customers and so on. So he just went on and on and on about the customer this and that and the other. And then he began to speak about a specific minority group right here in Canada to which he ended up saying, I will never do business with those people. Referring to a specific ethnic group. Why? Because those people are, and he began to fill in the blanks as to what those people are. Therefore, I would never do business with them. I'm sure you've heard statements or sentiments like these being espoused, maybe in your circle, once in a while. See, racist practice Racism treats people unjustly because of their ethnicity. Treats people unjustly because of their ethnicity. It's like when I was still new in Canada, I remember I wanted to buy a stereo, so I went to one of these big box stores, to electronic stores, to buy a stereo. So I walk into this store, and I look around and I see the one I wanted. And so I'm trying to talk to the salesperson saying, hey, could you please tell me about that particular stereo? And he was like, no, 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 you want this one. And so he's showing me this lesser one that was cheap. Then I said, no, 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 that one is the one I want. And he's arguing with me regarding what I should have as opposed to, hey, why don't you just sell me what I'm looking for? So I ended up saying, but dude, I can afford that one. That's what I want to I want to find out. Does it have this and does it have that? And he would have none of it. Why? Because in his mind, this little one here was what was fit for me. I ended up walking out of the store without the stereo. So you may say, okay, what was that? Treating other people unjustly because of their ethnicity. You see, the question then becomes, 
obviously, if we talk to our indigenous community, they'll tell you all sorts of stories, or any other visible minority in Canada, they'll tell you all sorts of stories regarding how racism has impacted them as a community. So the question then becomes, dear Christians and Canadians, how then do we address this issue? How do we answer this question? So in the secular world, this is how they would, they would address the issue of racism and other issues. Let's just talk very briefly about four questions, four basic human questions that people ask. The first would be, who am I? Who am I? And the society around us will say, hey, you are nothing. That's why, hey, go make something of yourself. Because you're nothing. Why am I here? Society will say, hey, you're here to consume and enjoy. And that's why when you're watching hockey, because right now we are watching the playoffs, right? Yeah, 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 Toronto is out, but let's not get there. Uh, who am I? We are here to consume and enjoy. So when you're watching a hockey game or you're watching a, your favorite TV show, you'll see all these commercials that'll show you a new car, new house, new this, new that. Why? Because you're a consumer. You're here to consume and enjoy. You want a better job so that you can get more money. Why? So you can buy better things. You're here to consume and enjoy. What's wrong with the world? Society will say what's wrong with the world is, hey, we don't, there isn't enough education and there isn't enough policing or there isn't enough funding for these programs. So if we just got people more education and more funding, things would be better. So what is wrong with the world? Lack of education and lack of funding, lack of policing. How can we make the wrong right? Well, let's have more education and more funding and more policing. That's how we will address these issues. This is how society will answer these questions. But what does the Bible actually say? Who am I? I'm created in the image and likeness of God. That's why every single human being has dignity and worth. I'm created in the image and the likeness of God. So this means... This means whether you're tall or short, whether you're black or white, whether you're heavy or slender, whether you're from one country or the other, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your ethnicity or the color of your skin or the color of your eyes, you have dignity and worth because you're created in the image of God. Why am I here? I'm not here to consume and enjoy. If anything, I'm here to bring glory to God. That's why I'm here. We're not here to consume and enjoy, here to bring glory to God. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world is not insufficient education or insufficient funding or, or insufficient policing. What's wrong with the world is you and me. You and me. We are the ones that are, we are what's wrong with the world. Why? Because there is sin in us. That's what's wrong. We are too greedy. We love the wrong things too much and love the right things too little. We are what's wrong with the world. And how do we make what's wrong right? The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what makes the wrong right. Because our problems, it's, it's not a lack of education in as much as, yes, education is good and it is good for us to learn. It's good for us to be aware and to know. But the deep, the root of the issue, the deep-seated issue here, the root of the issue is heart issue. It's a sin issue. So racism is a sin issue. It's not a lack of education issue because there are people who are well-educated who are also racist. So how do you fix that? How do you fix that? 
It's a gospel. The gospel is the answer to the heart issue, to the sin issue. So how does the Bible address this issue? So I'll unpack this in three very quick headings here. All people are created in the image of God. And these are my three points. All people are created in the image of God. If that's the case, then, then, therefore, love your neighbor. That's first. And then secondly, say no to racism. If all people are created in the image of God, then that means we ought to love our neighbor. And we'll talk about what that means. And therefore, we'd have to say no to racism. And we'll unpack what that means. And then finally, we'll talk about what, what are the next steps and how do we do this. So let's go very quickly. Now, this will just be passage. It's a passage. I'm just going to um, fire hose you with biblical text here. So all people are made. All people are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It's a creation story. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creation that moves along the ground. God here is saying, let us make man. Let us make mankind in our own image and in our own likeness. This same language of being created in the image of God is echoed in three other passages. So Genesis chapter 5 verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line, the scriptures say. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. So God created people in the, in the likeness of himself. We'll talk about what it means to be created in the likeness of God. The same thing is also echoed in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So again, another repetition that God has created people in his image and his likeness. Now, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7. With the tongue, we praise the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So question, what does it mean then to be created in the image of God? This is what it means to be created in the image of God. The fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. We are like God. We are not God. We are like him. Like my son is like me. He's not me. My son doesn't have the same authority as I have as a pastor in our church. But he is like me. So when people look at him, they'll say, oh, you look like your father. So what does it mean then? The fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God in the following ways. Intellectual ability, moral purity, spiritual nature, dominion over the earth, creativity, the ability to make ethical choices, and also immortality. What do I mean by that? This means that every single human being, whether Christian or non-Christian, you will live forever. In other words, there is life after death. The only question is where will you spend it? There is life after death. The question is where will you spend it? For those who know Christ, they will spend it in eternity with him. And those who don't and reject the gospel, 
they will spend eternity in conscious torment. But there is immortality. This is how we are like God. So here we see now the scriptures affirm that all people are created in the image and likeness of God. In other words, they are image bearers. So people are image bearers. It doesn't matter whether you see someone who has, who's struggling with some special needs, someone who has some disability, created in the image and likeness of God, whether they have drool falling down their faces and they can't even engage in a coherent conversation created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, that individual has dignity and worth. That is what distinguishes that person from an animal. That is what distinguishes you from an animal because we have been created in the image and likeness of God. We are like God in that this intellectual ability, moral purity, spiritual nature, dominion over the earth, creativity is part of us, the ability to make ethical choices, and there is immortality. We get to live forever, unlike your dog, created in the image and likeness of God. So what does this mean then? Then this means that we ought, point number two, to love your neighbor. You love your neighbor. So Jesus here in in Luke chapter 10, he's having this conversation about loving everyone as you love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So he's talking about loving neighbor as you love yourself. And then one individual pipes up and says, hey, so who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And you might ask the same question, who is my neighbor? So let's read how Jesus then responds to this question in Luke chapter 10, verse 37. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled along, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for every extra expense you may have. Which of these three, now Jesus is asking the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Now, that story may not necessarily hit us so hard because we probably don't understand the dynamic between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans, they never got along. They would never hold hands and sing Kumbaya together. They would never wave at each other with, both, with all five fingers either. No way. This was almost the tension between Jews and Samaritans was equivalent to the tension that would be there between Jews and Palestinians. They would never get along. They would never sit down and have a nice little party. No, it was always missile after missile. 
flying at each other. They'll be fighting significantly. Jews considered Samaritan dogs. They would never get along. And so now here Jesus is giving this parable to a group of Jews. So this expert in religion comes and says, hey, you know, this expert of the law says, hey, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story and he says, hey, there was a priest who passed by. Yeah, saw this guy beaten, walked by. The, the guy beaten was a Jew. So the priest passes by. Okay, he's a Levite. A Levite should be a holy person. The Levite comes, sees the guy beside the road, walks by. And then a Samaritan, a dog, comes by, sees the Jew who's wounded. Samaritan comes, takes care of the wounds, puts this beaten man on his donkey, takes him to an inn at his own expense, chooses to take care of this one. Jesus is saying, that's how it ought to be. That's how it ought to be. You care even for the person who is not like you. Go and do likewise. Question, dear Christian, how many people live in your neighborhood who are unlike you? Are you caring for them? Are you caring for their needs? Or are the stereotypes in your mind about them prohibiting you from caring for the needs of these ones? Now you may say, okay, so does the whole Bible actually teach this? Yes. So let's look at the Old Testament and what Jesus, what, what the scriptures say in the Old Testament. Now we'll look at the book of Leviticus very quickly and in particular verse chapter 19, Leviticus 19. This is God giving the nation of Israel his rules and his law. They've just come from Egypt. They've, they've crossed the Red Sea. They're now in the wilderness and Moses has come down and is giving them the law, the Ten Commandments and giving them the law. This is how you're going to live as people of God. So with respect to how you treat others, Leviticus chapter 19, so this is verse 13 to 18. We are not reading the, say, the, the entire passage. We're just highlights. We're just going to look at highlights. God is saying to the nation, you shall not oppress your neighbor. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you shall judge, uh, you, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, lest you incur sin because of him. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now you may ask now, what is the basis for this law? What is the basis for it? You'll have to go to, again, same passage, same chapter, Leviticus 19. Go up to verse 2. God will say, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, I am holy. The word holy there is, you will be different. You will be separate, distinctly different from everyone else around you. That's what you shall be. So this behavior is totally rooted in, you will be different. You will be holy just the same way. I, the Lord, I am holy. I am different. I am unlike any other God. This is why you behave this way. Now, to the immigrant, to the sojourner, 
to the different person, someone from a different nation who's now coming to, to visit the children of God and live among them briefly. What does God say? Leviticus 19, 33 to 34, when a stranger, this is now an immigrant, sojourns with you in your land, you shall, do, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. Notice the language. Treat him as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, how do you treat the immigrant? How do you treat the one who is different? You shall treat this one as a native among you. Wow, what a standard question. Is that how we do it here? With ethnic minorities, those who come from different countries and they can't speak good English, do we treat them well or do we treat them differently? We are all created, all people are created in the image of God. Therefore, we ought to love our neighbor. And that love is demonstrated by how we treat them finally. Knowing that God created all people is on image. Therefore, we ought to say no to racism. We ought to say no to racism. You may ask, but how? Remember. Who am I? I'm created in the image and likeness of God. Why am I here? I'm here not to consume and enjoy, but I'm here to bring glory to God. What is wrong with the world? You and I, we are what's wrong with the world because of our sin. How does this wrong be made right? The gospel. So how then do we say no to racism? We recognize that racism is a heart issue. And if it is a heart issue, then all the more we need now to bring the gospel to bear. We need to tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ and allow their hearts to be transformed. Because in as much as education is good, that we may understand what took place in the past, but education is not going to solve the heart issue. It is only the gospel that will correct the heart issue. So Jesus here in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this, therefore go make disciples of all nations. If you're reading, if you have your Bible open, you want to circle the word all. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. So go make disciples. This making of disciples, notice it is you make the disciples before you baptize them. So the making disciples means, hey, I will have to befriend these people. I will have to love them. I'll have to invite them over to my house for a meal. I'll have to make friends and inroads because it's all people, not just some people. This means we would have to befriend those who are different from us so that we may take the gospel to them. We would have to open our homes and open our wallets. This is what I mean. So we have um, multiple immigrants in the Fraser Valley Lower Mainland. And depending on what minority group we are talking about here, there are some groups 
where if one of their family members converts into Christianity, they become outcasts from their family. They'll be shunned. They'll be kicked out. Case in point, I went to India. We are very much involved within the MB um, church family. We are very much involved in church planting work in India. So I went to visit some church planters that our church is supporting. And I, I went to this Indian church and I saw all these wonderful Punjabi Christians, older men with turbans and long beards, and they were praising Jesus. And my heart was warm. So after the, after the service, I had preached. It was great. There was this young girl who came to me, and she just said, Pastor, please pray. This girl would probably have been 14 years old. And she said how her grandfather had totally kicked her out because he wanted nothing to do with her and her entire family because they had converted into faith. And she was just crying because she now doesn't have a granddad. Question, dear Christian, are we willing to be brothers and sisters and grandparents and fathers and mothers to those who come from a different part of the world who, if they convert to faith, they no longer have a biological family here? Are we willing to open door, the doors of our big houses and allowing them to live in our basement suites or have a bedroom beside us? And are we willing to open our wallets and be like dad to these kids who if they say yes to Jesus, they have, no, they have no dads? Are you willing? Are you willing to see Christ do remarkable work in the lives of people. See, that's what it'll take. That is what it'll take for the gospel to, to permeate some of these communities. And that's where the racist barriers begin to break. And those who are like us, who have racist tendencies, the moment they recognize who Jesus is and what he has done, and what the mission of the gospel is, all of a sudden the racist tendencies begin to change because the heart is being changed. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, to, uh, comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. In other words, notice, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this means we ought to also be ready to take the gospel to other lands. To Yemen, India, Indonesia, Tibet, to many other countries, Iran, Iraq, dangerous places where you will not be accepted. But we love we love. The question is, why would we do this? You may say, why would I do this? Why would I send my son to, to Iran to share the gospel and it might not go very well? Why would, I, why would I invite this different person into my house? Why would I do this? You would do this because of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. Listen to, listen to this. After this, this is John who wrote the book of Revelation. This is what he says. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. This is a picture of heaven. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. 
And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a picture of heaven. A picture of heaven where there's every tribe and nation and people and language and they're standing before the throne, meaning they're standing before God and before the Lamb, standing before Christ and with palm branches, meaning they're celebrating. It's like they have pom-poms in their hands. Celebrating, saying, salvation belongs to our God. All these people. Christian, you should want to see that. You should want to see that. You should want to see people of every nation, tribe, tongue celebrate King Jesus and praise him because he is worthy. He is worthy. This is a picture of heaven and people from every nation will be standing before the Lamb. So let us summarize very quickly here. I'm almost done. Let us summarize here. What are we saying? We are saying that racism is a denial that people are created in the image of God. That's what racism is. It's a denial that people are not created. That's why we treat them so poorly. Racism in the church, racism in the church, if there is racism in the church, and there is, and I'll explain in a minute. Racism in the church is a contradiction of the visible unity that we as believers should celebrate. Now you may say, is there racism in the church? Oh yeah. So if you go down to the States, you will see black churches, white churches. You go to other parts of the world, you'll see if you belong to a different caste, you can't go to this place because this is just for this caste and this is for this caste. If you travel to some African countries, you'll find, hey, this church is just for people from this tribe and these are people from this tribe. There are many minorities who have come to me and said, Ezra, are black people welcome here? Question, Central Community Church. Are visible minorities welcome here? Racism disregards Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourselves. See, racism is a sin issue. And yes, more education is good, but heart transformation is what is needed. So what are the next steps? So what do we do now? I'll give you four things very quickly. We're done. It'll just be a statement for each. We need to learn. The first thing you need to do is learn. Do not assume. So some people, when the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and all that uh, happened last year, when it was so big and had flared up big time, multiple parades, you know the story, you watched it on TV and you probably experienced it as you're driving around. A lot of people said, oh, you know what? At least that doesn't happen in Canada. It doesn't? See, it's a demonstration that you don't know because multiple ethnical minorities, ethnic minorities in Canada will tell you racism is alive and well here as well. Go to Richmond and ask the Chinese Canadians who live in Richmond the kind of treatment they have to, they've had to endure because there'll be some who'll assume that yes, all Chinese people are terrible and they are the ones responsible for COVID and therefore let us shove their grandfathers down to the curb. You saw the images on on the news. 
It would be like me saying, this is a true story. When I came to Canada, I was spot on because I'm black. So can I now go around and say all Canadians, including you, are racist? Is that right? No, it's not right. Do not assume. Therefore, seek to learn stories of others. Seek to learn their stories. Let us talk to our indigenous community and let us learn their history. Listen to their stories. Learn. Seek to learn. Second thing, pray. Pray that the Lord would bring reconciliation between the various races. Let's pray that God would unite us, that God would break down these racial barriers, that God would soften hearts as the gospel is being proclaimed because racism is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So let's pray that God would transform the hearts of people, that we begin to treat people as image bearers of God. Third, let us acknowledge the pain that's there and empathize. Acknowledge their pain. You may not relate to it. You may not even understand it, but acknowledge it's there and empathize. Empathize. Finally, commit. Commit to loving your neighbor. Commit to loving your neighbor as a response to the gospel and commit to usher in the kingdom of God. Why? Because one day you and I We'll stand in the courts of heaven with pom-poms in our hands saying salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If that will be a true reality for us for eternity, then let us start trying to emulate it here and live in light of that. Let us pray. So, Father, thank you for these brief moments that you've given us to interact. This is a big topic loaded subject, but Father, your, your word gives us a very, very clear guide as to how it is we are to interact with this issue of racism. Father, we recognize that racism is sin. If anything, racism is heresy because it denies that you created people in your image and likeness. So Father, we pray that as we dialogue amongst ourselves, in our various community groups, in our, in our families, in our spheres of influence, as we wrestle through some of these issues, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to, to gain a deeper understanding as to how we ought to respond and how we ought to love our neighbors. And again, Lord, for those who have been impacted negatively and who are listening, Father, I pray that you would heal their wounds. And for, for, for those who uh, this is all new and they cannot relate, Father, I pray that you'd grant us again more of your spirit, that we would learn, that we would pray, that we would acknowledge and we'd commit to engaging this issue and all other injustices in a manner that would be worthy of you. We commend ourselves now to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.